0: Welcome to HBW Insight's Over the Counter podcast. I'm Hannah Daniel, HBW's U.S. health and wellness reporter, and I'll be your host for today's episode of Over the Counter. You'll also hear David Ridley, EU senior editor for HBW Insight, hosting other episodes of Over the Counter. Together, we explore the latest issues in consumer health and cosmetics across the U.S. and EU. We speak to industry experts and executives about market trends and hot button issues within the OTC, dietary supplement, and cosmetics industries. In this episode, I speak to Anika Grieve from Loop and TerraCycle about the work that they do reducing waste across industries. Loop works with companies like Bausch & Loam to create packaging that can be bought, used, and then dropped off in big box stores where consumers regularly shop. We spoke about how greenwashing from companies can harm consumer trust in the industry and how the relatively recent habit of disposability will ultimately drive how companies switch to sustainable practices. Annika, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, happy to be here. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at TerraCycle and Loop? Absolutely. Um, so I head up our business
1: development team for Loop Uh, uh, globally. So I'm based out of our our Toronto office calling in here from Canada Um, and what that means is basically I am responsible and my team is responsible for having lots of fun new conversations and partnership exploration with brand partners, manufacturers, retailers, uh, community organizations, anything and everything on uh, joining the uh, reuse ecosystem that we're building.
0: And are there companies that you work with within the consumer health space?
1: Definitely, plenty. Um, and maybe it's a, it's helpful if I take a, a step back and talk quickly about TerraCycle and Loop and how they kind of fit in together. Um, so Loop is a part of TerraCycle, which is a larger company. Um, we're in our 20th year now. We're headquartered in Trenton, New Jersey, and are active in 21 countries. And really, we are a social enterprise. So what that means is that we are a for-profit business, but with uh, driven by this mission, and our mission is to eliminate the idea of waste. How we go about that is really in a variety of ways. I always like to think of ourselves more as an innovation company rather than you know, like a waste management company. It's just that we happen to deal with garbage and waste and what other people don't want. Um, and primarily what we've, we've done and it's kind of three main buckets and continuing to grow and innovate. Um, one is to make it recyclable. So here we're talking about making the traditionally unrecyclable into something that's recyclable. From a technical standpoint, everything is recyclable it is it's really a matter of what's practically done so this term recyclable in itself is pretty um, vague and misleading in a lot of ways um, because practically what's actually recycled is very very minimal in terms of what's out there uh, just because there's no money in it because a recycling company is also a for-profit business so here we help um, and we work with brand manufacturers or retailers or individuals or community organizations to be able to find um, a solution to collect and process and actually recycle uh these hard to recycle materials um that can be anything from like flexible packaging like chip bags to blister packs from like p- pills or otc products or contact lenses and and cases which is uh pretty unique it's a program that we have live with Bosch and Loam and it, just as an, an example within that or to like razor blades or dirty diapers or even cigarette butts all of these things that are already programs that we have up and running um that can be you know, made into a recycled solution. Another division that we have is to incorporate unique recycled material back into new products and packaging. So here, really trying to clean up waste um, from whether it be, you know, public places, uh, beaches, wherever it might be, or again, kind of unique materials that come into us that we can then put into new packaging and products. Um, Think ocean plastic that goes into a shampoo bottle or, uh, you know, uh, toothpaste tubes that go into a playground, or plastic lumber that's donated to you know a local school, um, and then finally we have Loop, which is where really I sit for most of uh, you know w- what I do and where I focus on, which is really moving up the hierarchy of ours. So it's reduce, reuse, and then recycle. So with Loop, we're really focusing now on building a reuse ecosystem um, where any brand or manufacturer, whether it be you know in the FMCG space or fast-moving consumer goods space. Um, all the way to pharmaceuticals and uh, and alcohol and you know restricted substances, whatever that may be, anything can go into something that's like a reusable format. Can be sold through any retail partner where they're already sold at, and consumers can just basically make a more sustainable choice. Um, and then at the end of life, instead of throwing it out or putting it into a recycle bin, it goes into a reuse bin. So that's kind of high level of of where we sit. Um, and within that, health, um, the consumer health industry is definitely a big player and, and a definitely a big focus on this as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Bausch & Loam, um, especially since they've, you know, really split off their healthcare segment right now um, and their eye health We've done a lot of reporting about them. Um, so definitely, um, you know, I'll check out more about what they've done with you all. Um, that's super interesting. Yeah, contact lenses, one of the most poli- like little tiny
1: things, but actually a massive part of, of uh, garbage which it adds up.
0: Yeah, especially with the popularity of daily lenses. Um, You know, I know all my friends use daily lenses. So that's a lot of waste. It is. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of got the idea that loop kind of works in like a closed loop system. Um, Is that the correct term for it? yeah and i think closed loop just like any term
1: basically especially in the sustainability world can be misleading because there are too many different like variations and definitions of it Um, but loop essentially is yes for a limited amount of time the product packaging in this case the primary packaging or secondary tertiary whatever it may be really the intent is to be able to use the resources that you've taken from the earth whether it be plastic you know oil in the form of plastic or glass or whatever that may be, put it into this form of packaging and be able to use it in that current form as long as possible. So that means you use it, you collect it back, you clean it, and then you refill it from a manufacturing standpoint to start again. And while you have it in that circle, that's basically closed loop, Um, but everything will have an end of life. And then it's a matter of, can you recycle that back into itself? So if you take that bottle and you break it down and then you create it new and create a new bottle with it, that also would be kind of a, a closed loop within that. But it's, it's a very broad term and can be d- defined in a lot of different ways, depending on how you're looking at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And definitely one I've heard thrown around. Yes. <laughs> so is it easier for some industries to get to this kind of, um, to be reusable than others? Are there ones that you've just found yourselves working with more? Uh, I think you know moving
1: into anything that's reusable is challenging in today's day and age um, reuse is nothing new in its concept right uh, the disposable world that we have right now is actually the the newer aspect that's uh, about 70 you know 60 70 years old that we've been living the lifestyle that we have today with where you take make and waste um, reuse, is the the you know the norm previously to that think you know the milkman the nostalgic milkman with the bottle that would be collected from your front door cleaned and filled again and you get your new bottles every day or every week um it's new now though in the society that we have and in this disposable nature and how we now are trying to move it not from only one or two products But into hundreds of products and really enabling a consumer to have this in all of their lifestyle Whether it's their their food and their groceries or their, you know Their, their pharmacy fill that they need for the week or the month or whatever that may be or even clothing um, You know reuse can be done in a lot of different ways of this I'd say it's challenging for all partners to be able to move back into this kind of an ecosystem, though, um, which is where Loop comes in, uh, consumer health definitely has has some more challenges because of regulations. Um, there are no FDA regulations right now, not really, or you know, Health Canada or any kind of uh, federal agency that has a purview on health products on what can you incorporate in reusable products for, uh, you know, a, a, a pill bottle, because that hasn't. Been done necessarily in this space, so there are some gray zones that need to be worked through, and additional challenges that I think uh, might make it um, a longer process. But difficulties are are across the board, um, but nothing that's been insurmountable to this point, which is really exciting. So no, we you know we have partners from quick serve food restaurants like uh, Burger King and McDonald's, um, all the way to you know, baby food like Gerber uh, from the Nestle team or uh, not public yet, but vitamins that'll be, you know, over the counter vitamins that'll be coming into the loop ecosystem towards the latter half of this year in the US. Um, So it's, it's some really exciting aspects of it uh, all the way to dirty diapers. You know, we have reusable diapers with uh, Charlie banana in the US right now as well that are currently live. So it's really, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I don't think there's one industry more than another, but it's it's cool to see how it can work across all of these. And a lot of them share similar challenges, but they can all be overcome in unique ways.
0: I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter. Make sure to follow Pharma Intelligence on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts to get notified about the latest episodes. Also, don't forget to check out our HBW Insights publication at hbw.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all of the latest health, beauty, and wellness news. Now, back to the interview. Since you mentioned regulation, um, is there a sustainability-based legislation that you're keeping your eye on that can be in Canada, where you are, in America, or any you know industries or countries that you know are necessarily not in North America?
1: Yeah, there is a vast amount of legislation coming out, um, whether it's kind of like an EPR, so extended producer responsibility, um, in that kind of a form, or um, Voluntary uh, commitments that are coming out as well from producers and retailers, uh, all the way to like actual tax implications and and penalties and bans, um, and they are vastly different uh, across the globe. Um, when you're looking, even like country to country, it's 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 crazy. The difference is not to mention like city to city in a state. It's it's different. Um, and it's hard to to kind of comb through right now. I mean, the big ones are, of course, there are huge 2025 targets across the the CPG space, so consumer packaged goods industry, on reducing waste for 2022. That comes in both incorporating more like recycled content into new packaging and products, all the way to reusable targets, and also just reducing um, single-use packaging. So think if you have a package that's has like three different layers of, of you know a box and then a bag within the box and then another like seal on, t- on top of the the bottle in the box, can you eliminate one or two of those layers to have only the bottle with a seal, something along those lines. Um, those, no specific regulation to kind of call out here, um, but just examples of it's, it's, it's hard to navigate through and that's why a lot of companies are doing um, like targets towards these, but at the higher level so they can Accommodate for all of the markets that they may be in, especially with larger companies that operate globally. It's difficult to be able to do it region by region.
0: Just thinking about city to city, um, thinking about the <laughs> thinking about the regulations from I live in Virginia, from one city, one county to the next. Um, I'm still figuring out the recycling guidelines and parameters. But so you did mention uh, & Loam and the contact care or the contact closed loop. It's Contact Lens Recycling.
1: Yeah, so it's Contact Lens and like the blister packs that go around them recycling program. So it's um, basically a lot of it. It's currently live in Canada. Um, I need to double check exactly where where else it's live. It might be live in the US as well, but go to TerraCycle.com. That's my little plug for that um, to be able to see where there are a bunch of uh, recycling programs either paid for or free to consumers. A lot of these programs are free to consumers. So. Um, in this blister pack example for your contact lenses, you can go to the website and you can see um, a lot of optometrist offices have, have, uh, you know, have drop-off locations. So if you go to your optometrist, you can drop off your little baggie of like old contact lenses and blister packs for it um, and they'll be collected from those locations. So you can see where you can drop them all off, which is really cool.
0: You know, there are a lot of these companies that are, you know, doing the work and they're partnering with you all. They're they're really trying to set these goals. Um, but, you know, can you talk about greenwashing and, you know, the harm of it on the industry and maybe from the standpoint or the viewpoint of someone who does this for a living? Yeah, I mean, greenwashing, ha- the,
1: the ultimate harm is is on the planet, right? It's per, you know, showing that you're trying to do something better, but you don't actually do anything behind it. So I think it's it's a very negative, negative term, of, term, of course, as it should be. Um, the... Uh, the challenge with it is that there's there's I think the intent behind it right and that's um, is a company testing out methods and trying to see how they can improve on it and then increase their impact or are they just saying something and not doing anything behind it and the the intent is different one wants to actually make the change happen and they're trying to find the right path forward because they're is no perfect solution for anything, there's no silver bullet, especially in the world of sustainability, or are they just kind of doing the bare minimum to say I've done this and, and not actually put any substance behind it? And I think that's the harm, that's the real issue, that latter one, not the one who's trying to make the change. Um, ultimately though, with greenwashing and everything that comes around it um, and misuse and miscommunication and confusion leads to consumer confusion, which means consumers are uh, less likely to be able to actually follow instructions. I mean, the chasing triangle is a really great example of it um, that you see on the bottom of every single plastic bottle or everything everything that has plastic or packaging, basically. Um, that's, you know, I was brought up, I thought that was a recycling symbol. It's, it's not, it's a plastic identifier. It just says that this is plastic. It doesn't mean that it can be recycled. It doesn't mean that it will be recycled. It has the chasing arrows and a number in the middle and that identifies as that, what type of plastic it is Or my favorite, number seven, which just means it's, we don't know. (laughs) This can be any kind of plastic. We don't know what material's in it, which means it's not being recycled. Um, So that kind of miscommunication and misinformation, just basically miseducation, is, um, will make it more and more challenging to implement any kind of actual change, because consumers also become skeptical and then what do you put into the you know what do you put into your blue bin um not only if or blue bin, sorry that's an ontario term uh we that's our recycling program here is like the the blue uh, um, recycling box but that is the same bin that i can do in toronto or the neighboring cities and if i happen to work in a neighbor sitting it's not the same stuff that i can put into that that gets to a whole new level when you're now in putting in like new complex technologies or new different aspects of it. Like, what does compostable packaging mean? Is it actually compostable? And chances are right now it's not, and it's not going to be. Um, And there's a whole variety of that. But it's basically, again, what can the end company who has to deal with that garbage, what can they do with it and sell it to make profit off of it? Um, The more mislabeling, uh, misinformation that comes within this space, the less likely that any solution will actually work. Or have an impact, and I think that's the real danger of, of greenwashing in the industry. And then it's also less of an incentive to actually do something against it. So I think it's, it's a big push to help simplify and make sure that you know what is said is actually done, and that comes into accountability. Who's held accountable for it? Um, and it really does have to be a whole collaboration amongst industry, legislation, regulation. The end. Um, waste management company uh, all the way to the initial plastic manufacturer. It all needs to be kind of combined and then the consumer needs to be able to follow what that is. So it's it's a massive undertaking. Um, I hope that kind of paints a little bit of the complexity <laughs> that goes into it.
0: Absolutely. I think that when companies think about greenwashing, they think about um, consumer trust and then also like the uh, because in the industry, they're constantly competing, you know, who's going to have the best green claims? And then are they correct? Like, are they real? And how that can harm them. But I also think that the consumer education point and the confusion it causes is also something that businesses really need to take into account. Because, you know, if one, if, if one person has these greenwashing claims, if one company has greenwashing claims, you um, That are, you know, not necessarily actually them doing anything sustainable, then this other company, it loses the effectiveness of their actual sustainability efforts. And then, you know, customers might not trust them as much and they, you know, might not know what to do. So with that, you know, I am kind of understanding that part of Loop's mission is to make it easier for consumers to um, understand what's recyclable. And reasonable? Yeah,
1: and and that's, you know, again, like terms that are used interchangeably a lot that are actually very different. Um, what Loop is really trying to do in the at the essence of it and what TerraCycle is trying to do is make tangible solutions for waste. Um, whether it be, you know, recycling, so finding a solution for the material that it is in today, uh, while companies start to design into something that's maybe more recyclable locally and try to design their packaging and change into something that's, you know, better and simpler for the future. But let's find a solution for what you have right now. And again, actually make something new from it so it actually does get recycled um, and make that accessible to consumers Um because a lot of consumers in in the U.S. don't even have access, you know, access to a recycling program, let alone complex waste streams, which is wild. Um, and then on the the loop side, the the theme of what we're trying to do is make it simple and accessible, right? And same thing within the reuse side. So here we're trying to make you as a consumer your shopping habit the same as you have it today, where you can go to your favorite store. Like go to fred meyer which is currently live in portland um with with 25 locations in portland oregon um you go there you buy your favorite products off the shelf but in this case in a reusable packaging um, so you can buy your pantene shampoo and conditioner but in a reusable version which looks beautiful um, and then when you're done with the product of it um, and rather than putting it into the recycling or garbage you put it into the loop return bin and loop then comes in we clean those and we send them back to pantene uh for them to fill it up and put it back onto the retail shelf to buy new. So you as a consumer, you're not owning the packaging, you're just borrowing it for a minute, but your, your habit, basically that disposable habit, it mimics what you're doing today, so it should hopefully be more accessible and easy. So really we're trying to keep the convenience and the affordability that we have today, because I think that's the ultimate goal here, is simplicity and sim- um, ease, ease of access, right? Uh, everybody knows that there's a problem, or you know, 99% of people know that there's a problem. If you ask anybody on the street, most people know that reusing something is better than trying to break it down and, you know, put the resources into breaking it down and turning it into something new or landfilling it. Um, And we all know that we need to make a change, but what we're actually able or willing to put into that change as an effort level um, is quite minimal because, you know, everybody's busy. Uh, We say it a little bit with, you know, I am am also a consumer, so, you know, with a little bit of, um, I can't think of the right word here, but uh cheek I guess consumers are lazy ultimately so what we're actually willing to do to change our habits is quite minimal so how can we as an industry and loop specifically how we're trying to create this like the, this ecosystem with it is how can you buy your product anywhere in a more reusable fashion and drop it off anywhere just as you would you know buy your soda bottle from any retailer and put it into any kind of recycling bin wherever that may be so buy anywhere, return anywhere is really what we're trying to to create with this. Um, so yeah, to make it more more accessible.
0: Absolutely, I wanted to give you the opportunity. If you thought of anything while we were talking that maybe didn't fit into the categories we had, um, to just add that. Yeah, no, I think
1: there's just it's it's such a big topic and a lot to cover in in like twenty or thirty minutes. So I, I think we just scratched the surface here, but it is exciting. And for you know any any listeners that are. In the diet, like dietary supplements, or in the OTC space, I think there's a really there's a huge opportunity, and there's a drive towards this. Um, a kind of across all aspects of a consumer's life, particularly these um, you know products that tend to be done on a monthly, weekly basis. So I think there's there's a really cool cool opportunity here, um, and we're really starting to see the the shifts happen in this industry as well. Whether it's finding a recycling solution or or a reusable solution, which is the ultimate goal too.
0: Well, thank you so much for speaking to me, providing um, your amazing insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Over the Counter is a podcast by Informa Pharmaceutical Insights. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, check out HBW Insights. There you can find any articles that we mentioned in the podcast and other articles on the subject. This podcast and others by Informa Pharma Intelligence are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Spotify Podcasts, so make sure to follow to get the latest updates on when new podcasts are published. Thank you again for listening, and be on the lookout for more over-the-counter episodes.